Jack Gibson is an international serial entrepreneur and financial thought leader. He began his journey at 19 in direct sales from his college dorm room in a nutrition uh, distribution company where he built a multi-million dollar venture before he was old enough to rent a car. After a series of stock market setbacks, he became obsessed with learning everything about real estate investing and building another multi-million dollar portfolio, generating massive income. He's also the author of a book we're going to talk about a little bit uh, called Indestructible Wealth. I'm very excited to have Jack on the podcast. Welcome, Jack. Thank you for having me, Corey. Excited to be here. Well, so listen, before we get into real estate investing and any other deal stuff we're going to talk about and, you know, providing, uh, you know, like the conversation of providing an alternative for a lot of my business owner entrepreneurs who have a lot of a lot of their money invested in their own, you know, in their own business and the ability to diversify with some other types of deals. I want to get into all of that. I want to um, first take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is a real estate investor and author and deal guy, financial you know, uh, expert and all this kind of stuff might not have been it, but you tell me. <laughs> You're pretty much spot on. <laughs> I wanted and was 100% certain I was going to be a major league baseball player. Oh, I yeah. love <laughs> baseball. My dad said, hey, you know, that's great, but you maybe want to consider a backup plan. I'm like, nope, <laughs> that's, that's stupid. I will absolutely make it. And then I didn't even make it past the seventh grade. So. <laughs> <laughs> our, dream, our dreams get dashed early and it's usually around our, our ability to play professional sports is for, uh, for a lot of us. <laughs> was the yeah. First uh, uh, dreams that were dashed, right? Well, um, my kid, my uh, 12-year-old has it too. And I said, uh, well, you cannot be a professional athlete with a sixth grade work ethic. Like you just cannot be on video games all day long thinking that you're going to play professionally. Right, so, right, right. You know, it's got to uh, match it. up. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Um, all right, one more question looking back. What was your first deal of any type that could be something small when you were a kid or early in your career or anything that you remember as a deal of any type? Oh man, that is a really good question. I'm going to say that um, my first real deal, I mean, of course, smaller deals, right? But my first deal was probably the house that I lived in. I turned it into a rental because in 2008, we couldn't sell it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we would have taken quite a massive hit. So that kind of led me into real estate investing just by accident. And it turned out to be a fantastic rental. It rented every month for eight years and we made great money on it. So nice. that adversity turned into a really good thing. Nice. All right. So, you know, it's an interesting time to talk about this conversation of diversifying, right? Our investments, our income, you know, you, in the bio, we mentioned something about, you know, an experience with the stock market that had you move into, uh, into real estate. And of course, we're in a time right now and, you know, listen, nobody can predict the future and, and whatever. And maybe we're in a bump. Maybe we're heading towards a recession. I don't know. But the point is that there's been certainly um, the stock market's ticked down. Uh, some people have, uh, but, you know, uh, certainly cryptocurrencies have taken a huge hit. And, uh, and by the way, listeners, we're recording this in late uh, June. Uh, it's, you're not going to hear this till September. Um, so who knows, maybe something will happen in the next few months. Miraculous. One way or the other, you know, but, um, uh, but the point is, you know, I'm just, I'm just placing it in time more less so because that is important because whether it's now or in the past or in the future, there's always going to be times when there's volatility, you know, volatility in other markets, but give us a little background, a little more on how your experience with the stock market led you into real estate and also led you into the conversation of having, 
you know, multiple streams of income and investment opportunities available, you know, as a, you know, the diversification strategy has strategy. Yeah, great, great question. So, you know, when, when I'm 19, you know, I sign up in a direct sales company, a hustle and work like crazy. Um, direct sales is an incredible opportunity for those that don't have much capital to work with. If you're willing to put in the, the sweat equity and hustle, yep. you know, you can, you can really do well. And I had a heart hustle, work ethic, loved people loved fitness nutrition. So when I got the opportunity, you know, I, I ran with it, saved up about 50 grand by my beginning of my senior year, which was, uh, 2000 (laughs) right next to my apartment. There happened to be a Hilliard Lions financial brokerage. And I walked in and he said, Hey, you're young. Stocks always go up over the long term." Um, I think you should, you should go all in. You've got this money. It's just sitting here. It's not making any money. I'm like, yeah, I'm clear. I want my money making money. Well, at that time, you know, stocks have gone up 40%, uh, tech Mm -hmm. stocks at least over the last handful of years. So I put my money in and within what, four months, half my money is like gone. Oh, it was so hard. It was devastating. I'm like, this is supposed to be, this isn't supposed to happen. And I was supposed to turn this into a million dollars by the time I'm 30 and, 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 right. And, you know, what happened was looking back, it's pretty easy. I invested into assets that I clearly did not understand. Yeah. Uh, I, I invested into risky assets and, um, you know, I just took somebody else's word for what I should do. So that's an uneducated investor. You, buy things that you don't understand at the price points that you don't get right. um, typically. And I got too risky uh, with my you know initial capital. Well, those are all mistakes. And typically you're going to pay for mistakes one way or another. So that's that event. And then again, back in um, 2009, I was running options on a couple of companies and they both got one dropped in value really quick. It was an oil company. Uh, inner oil, but they, um, because gas prices had dropped so much, even though they were a natural gas company, they dropped in half. And then the other company I was in and writing options on that dropped in half because it got attacked by a short seller. So I'm thinking, oh gosh, like all, all over again, this is just, I think the universe telling me you've got to look at real estate. You need to learn it. This is my push. Well, that was all the push I needed, those setbacks. And I just became an incredible student, devouring podcasts and books and, and looking at deals and anything I could to learn the game. And finally got in a few, about 2012, 13, I think I got my first property. Mm. And uh, now, you know, real estate is 70% of my total portfolio. Um, the bulk of my wealth, uh, that's that's my investable dollars. I think the bulk yeah. of my wealth is centered in my businesses and that yeah. the equity value of my companies based on the free cash flow that they generate. So I I'm huge into cash flow producing real estate. I think it's a great place to park um, your money and to have um, incremental growth. So what we're seeing today in the markets, it's a bloodbath. And certainly I've lost money over the last few months because sure, uh, sure. I do have stocks in crypto. Yeah. Um, but the great part about it is that it's not disrupting my life. I don't lose any sleep because my portfolio is properly allocated and the bulk of it is in stable assets, my businesses and real estate. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting, there's, um, there's a number of theories out there, like, you know, there's all these uh, courses and things about, yo, know, you got to have multiple streams of income and things like that. And, and um, I remember I took a course years and years and years ago, which I sort of liked the philosophy on, right? Uh, which was, they said, listen, absolutely, we believe in multiple streams. However, what happens is, you know, some young folks, right? People who are early in their career, they get into too many things at once, right? Yes. So their, their view was, listen, yes, right? Yes, they say you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket, but if you study most successful people, they have one basket to start. They take really good care of that basket. They focus on that area. They learn it. They get some base going, and then they, you know, and then they diversify, right? So then, you know, so just, just uh, your thoughts on on that. I see you nodding for those of the uh, uh, folks who are listening and don't see the the, the video. Uh, uh, yeah. So <laughs> your thoughts, your thoughts it's, on that. You know, I wrote about this in my book. I I yep. just probably released a podcast about it. Um, I know that I've I probably haven't hammered this point home enough, but I'm 100 percent aligned. You have to focus on one thing, go all in on that one thing, and just ignore all the other noise. And that's how you build wealth the fastest. Then once you've built some wealth, then start diversifying into st other streams. The problem with multiple streams of income, and I, I this my whole book is about creating multiple streams of income. Yep. The problem with it is that it can be multiple streams of distraction. Right, and right. And that reduces your ability to, with the one thing that you referred to, of going all in and driving that to become really what it can become. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, for me, I, I have some personal experience with that where earlier in my career, you know, we, we did some real estate investing. We did some, you know, uh, you know, investing in other companies we did, but I was at a stage and I'm going back, this is 25 plus, you know, whatever years ago, you know, where my core business was not established enough where that, you know, income flow with that value was not established enough. And, and I just, so I distracted myself from my core business and then like things would be, you know, go down over there. Right. And then I'm, you know, look at all this different stuff. So I learned that lesson personally where, you know, I sort of went back into my core business for a period of time and got that to a certain level where it was less dependent upon me in terms of getting the work done, where I had a great team, where it was flowing, you know, money off at a level that, you know, was much more significant than it was when I early days. You know, and then I circled back into, you know, making some investments in company, doing real estate investments and things yeah. like that. Because the other mistake, I mean, we're talking about the mistake of being too, too distracted in the beginning, but then the other mistake people make, right, is that they, they don't diversify at some point. And then they have all their, for example, with entrepreneurs only have their business. And then the pandemic hits or the financial crisis hits or whatever it is, you know, or something happens very specifically in their niche. You know, yeah, there's so many things that can happen with technological disruption. I mean, look at Blockbuster was a multi-billion dollar company and this little tiny company called Netflix comes in and boom, within what, four or five years, mm -hmm. the company ceases to exist. Yep. That's crazy, right? That's going to happen more and more frequently over the coming decade. We're only going to see more disruption of that nature. So the one big problem as an entrepreneur is that you have income inconsistency. No matter where you're at, even my 25-year-old business, the income is still not, it's not stable. I mean, it's relatively stable, right. but it still fluctuates. It can fluctuate quite a bit. Yep. So I wanted to be in a position where 
I didn't care that much if that happened. Like I say that much because of course I care when your business sure. drops a bit or your income drops, but I wanted it to be like, okay, it's kind of annoying, but it's not a huge deal. I've got all these other income sources that are replenishing and, and kind of leveling out my income so that we have a predictable lifestyle, a predictable income streams coming in. So yes, I definitely think that entrepreneurs can make the mistake of getting distracted too early. I've probably cost myself a lot of real estate sales in a real estate company because I tell the advice of, look, when you buy a property, you're buying a business. You, you can't kid yourself and think that a real estate property is gonna be completely passive. It still has all the metrics of a business. It's got income coming in, you've got property management, you've got expenses to that business, you have tenants, toilets, trash, you have, problems that are going to come in that are going to require your attention. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So you got to go into that knowing that it's not completely passive. There could be some distraction factor. So you just want to make sure that you're doing it the right way. From 2000 to 2010, Corey, I read all the books on real estate. I mean, I was interested. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I got the vision, sure. but I said no to real estate intentionally. Mm. And I'm really glad I did because that allowed me to build a, a huge business without that kind of anchor. So, so let's just, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about you alluded to the core business, the other business, the real estate investment. Let, let's just lay it out for folks so they fully understand what, what do you do in your core businesses? Who do you serve? And then, you know, talk about the diversification a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my direct sales business is a um, health and nutrition focused business. So I've coached people on weight loss programs for, you know, healthy eating, healthy lifestyle. And that business has been very, very successful. I mean, we've worked extremely hard at it. Uh, we're still involved. That was the vacation that we went on was to Cabo that I, or sorry, Cancun. Um, that was an earned vacation from that company. So it's, it's a wonderful blessing. And then, you know, I realized that I really wanted to get into real estate to diversify income because there was, there was a couple of events that happened. I mean, long story short, we got attacked. Uh, we had the biggest financial attack in American business history. You know, Bill Ackman uh, shorted our company. And so I realized, wow, like I got to have a backup stream of income or I could be in a real bad way. So that's when I started getting into uh, real estate, buying up rentals for the passive income and then selling them for additional income <laughs> to speed the process up. <laughs> and then uh, from that started a self-storage company. So I raised money to invest into storage, which is my absolute favorite investment uh, due to how passive and resilient it is to any economic downturns. I mean, people just don't want to take a Saturday and go clean out their storage locker. Right? <laughs> I gotta tell you, so I, I've got a buddy who's, uh, you know, yeah, he's, his main business is restaurants. He does other stuff, whatever, but he's got, he says the same thing about his storage businesses. And, and I, and I, I know I've had storage bins. I mean, I, I made that classic mistake of, uh, you know, moving from someplace and having some furniture or other stuff, whatever that I'm like, you know what? I don't want to give this away. It's too good and it's tough to sell. I'm going to put it in storage and then, you know, the, end up paying more in storage than the thing's worth yeah. because, it's, because it's four years later and it's still sitting there and you're like, what am I, you know? And yeah, and it takes forever to get around. So there's no business that's truly a hundred percent passive, uh, you know, unless you're just truly a passive investor or something. Um, but storage is as close to passive of a business as you can get probably, you know? I would say it is to me, it's the most passive because, you know, it's an eight by 10 locker that if, they don't pay, you lock them out, you sell right. their stuff, you sweep it out, 
and boom, it's turned, right? right? So we have a team that, you know, runs all of that, um, that I invest with, you know, it's a syndication type deal. Yep. And that's, it's a wonderful way for me to not have to do anything <laughs> other than raise a little bit of money and, 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 and throw it in. Um, and then I started a Bitcoin mining um, company. So I really love, I do love crypto. I believe in it. I believe in it's the future. I wanted to get in at a cheaper price. Uh, Bitcoin was trading at, you know, 50, 60, 69. Um, so I wanted to get Bitcoin at, you know, 15 to 20,000 costs, which you can do if you're a miner. So we started that little, did we know that we'd see a Bitcoin come below um, 20, which is, uh, we would have never believed you if you told me that that was going to yep. happen again. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit on pause, uh, waiting for the uh, market to recover, which it will. I know that. And then, um, you know, we have a uh, indestructible wealth, which is my financial services company, which is essentially a passion project. I realized that I was chasing success for my entire life and achievement and the next recognition but I was really in my heart, I was missing the fulfillment piece, which is just a pouring into younger entrepreneurs, um, high earner employees that they just don't know what to do. They have, uh, they have a lack of clarity on how they should structure their plans and what mistakes, uh, catastrophic mistakes to avoid that I've probably made or <laughs> come close right, to making. Right. So it's just a teaching platform to help educate, um, the, you know, and inspire. Great. So, so you mentioned on the storage side of syndicated. So, so, um, I mean, did, did you syndicate, did you put in some money and raise money from others or you're just part of a, or you're an investor in someone else's syndication? I'm an investor in somebody else's syndicate and I raise money because they have typically have a minimum deal of like a million. And that's what happened is they said, Hey, this next round, if you want to do it, it's a million. Right. And, and <laughs> okay. They, they're, they're getting that from people, but for my group of friends and family that I've been telling, Hey, storage is great. Storage is great. Storage is great. Okay, you can do it for a hundred if we all pool together and then we invest in. Got so, it. yeah, it was a small raise, you know, a, a one point five mil. I did that twice last year, this year. So yeah, let's. I mean, there's so many things we can talk about because you have so much going on and everything's got a deal aspect, right? You know, one of the things I've uh, it's been a while though, so I want to uh, get your view on it. But it, we've talked about it maybe a couple of times a while back on the podcast. You know, is this conversation because I've done this as well, right? like raising money from friends and family. That's an interesting deal and conversation because on the one hand, uh, you know, those are people who love and trust you and whatever. On the other hand, those are the people who love and trust you, right? right. So, the, you know, um, and some people don't have, you know, some people have said to me, I remember, you know, we, we raised some money, some real estate funds years back and, you know, put our own money and other people's money and we made the investment decisions on what we're going to invest in it. And, um, we did well on some stuff and then, and then, uh, you know, we raised the, these funds in 2007. So do I need to say more, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> about what happened over the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we took a hit on a couple of investments. And so talk to me about just your, the psychology of that, right. Uh, you know, I worry more about other people's money than I worry about mine. Right. Uh, but, but I've done it in the past. Some people are not willing to do that. What was your experience in terms of putting together deals where you're raising raising some money from folks you know, and, you know, uh, with, the, with all the uh, risks that 
maybe involved in that. Yeah, you know, it wasn't anything that I ever thought I would do. It wasn't any intention or goal like to raise money. It it uh, just sort of kind of happened. Like I was an inv- happy investor in yeah. this storage company, and I started investing with them. I mean, back in 2012 was my first investment with them, right? So I have a 10-year track record and people come to me and say, you know, what do you do? What do you recommend? And so I was like, well, my favorite investment is storage. And then they'd say, well, how can I get involved? And so, right. So it's just, uh, it was them knowing and liking and trusting me, but that took 20 years for me to build up, get to that point where they would wire me a hundred, 200, one, you know, one has wired me 500, 600 grand. So as far as expectations, I feel a lot better having invested with this, these guys and this company for 10 years. Yeah. Right. So I have complete total trust, not only their skills, but their integrity and their model. Their model is brilliant the way they buy under market value and how they resell them to hedge funds. So when people call me, though, we do have the talk. Right. So I essentially say, look, if this goes south and I, I don't think that there's too likely of that to happen. But if this goes south, I want you and I to know that I did everything up and up, we are, we're, there's integrity, that this is the risk that you take on when you invest. And if yes. you're not willing to do that, to be friendly with me, if anything goes wrong, like we still stay the same relationship, then I don't want your money. I don't want to do it. It's not worth it to me. Yeah. So if you're willing to do that, enter in with that frame of mind, then we're good. Otherwise, I don't yep, want your no money. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now that's a crucial talk to have in those situations. Uh, no question. We have the same, you know, we have the same thing. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. All right. So let's talk about real estate investing a little bit. Obviously, you know, things evolve over time. I mean, one of the things that I've said in the past that I've liked about real estate, why I've done some of it on my own is that, you know, I have money in the stock market, right? Diversified portfolio, long-term, you know, I have other, someone else who manages it for me, all that kind of stuff, et cetera, right? Sure. But I feel like even pretty early on in my career, I got to know too much about the stock market to think that I could beat uh, <laughs> the market, right? Uh, you know, it's a highly efficient market. The people who have the advantage, uh, you know, have major technology and research legally. There's, there's, there's inside information and other stuff that goes on. Sure. You know, I, knew, I knew guys on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and knew all the shenanigans that used to happen down there with front, you know, with, with, with front loading, you know, trades ahead of big trades that they knew about, like all, all, the, all the stuff. And then plus I had a friend who helped write the program trading systems, the early program trading systems for First Boston and UBS. So early on, he explained to me like what these computers could do and finding anomalies in the marketplace and trading millions of shares in fractions of a second, you know, and that was like, and it's gotten so much more sophisticated. But now I'm like, okay, I, you know, I I can't compete with that to try to, you know, like, yes, I'll put my money in there over time, it'll grow. But the reason I give that as a background is, you know, I said, 
I, you know, my, my view, unless you're talking about high-end, big commercial, you know, buildings and stuff like that, is that the real estate market is much less efficient, which means that there is more opportunity, right? Yeah. I mean, it takes work. You got to learn a market. You got to, you know, but, you know, you talked about in the storage that that company buys, you know, on the market, right? You know, well, it's hard to buy on the market in the stock market. You know, you're competing against big folks and computers and you know, inside information and sophistication. But, you know, in residential real estate, certainly uh, it's very, very different, right? Absolutely. I mean, look at the case of Zillow. Why were they not successful in their quest to be this big, you know, rehabbing and flipping company? Well, they're too scaled up, too large to recognize the inefficiencies, right? Right. I mean, you can't you can't do the same thing that you and I can on the streets, knowing the areas and having, you know, the experience. So I 100% agree. Definitely, there's a lot of things about the stock market that I don't trust and don't like. And I, like you said, the the manipulation and and all the insider stuff and all everything. I 100% agree. Although, right? I mean, in times like these, where the market went so far beyond rationality. I mean, we're in an irrational market. Our economy is still very, we're still very strong. It doesn't, to me, there's the justification for a 35% sell-off in tech stocks or some of these great companies are down 60, 70% doesn't make sense. So in those cases, that's where I might have a property that eh, it's okay. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to buy these opportunities where Stocks are on incredible deals, right? Yep. But overall, <laughs> I mean, I like real estate because I can control it. I can add extra value. I can repurpose it. Like, for example, we're repurposing a lot of our long-term properties to short-term Airbnbs, if it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, We're increasing our yields by two to three times, you know, in some of those properties. So there's... St- so many different advantages with the taxes and being able to use leverage. I mean, what other asset class allows you to borrow money from a bank sometimes where you don't even have to have any of your own money in the deal? Right, like, right. Where, did, where can you do that? Right, right. <laughs> Those who, now there's people that did that in crypto where they, they leveraged and borrowed money. They're feeling the pain right now. Yep. And that that is, they got way too greedy for a risky asset class. Whereas real estate, I mean, you, there's a point of which you can over leverage, right? I mean, you can sure. get too aggressive, but at the end of the day, as long as you, if you leverage and you have equity in the deal and you're, it's a cash flowing asset, if the market drops 20%, whatever, you don't care because it's a cash flowing property. You're doing right, right, right. On paper, you're down money, but you're making, you know, you're down the uh, value of the, of the building, but it doesn't matter because you're not going to sell it. Yeah, time, no intention as long as to sell it's cash right? Right. What right. does it matter? Right. And it, the other thing I love about it too is that I'm not checking the valuations every day. You know, right. right. I mean, crypto when that was really cranking. I mean, I unfortunately I was checking it. You know, several multiple times a day, and I knew I didn't want to, shouldn't, but you know, I it was just crazy how fast it was cranking up. So it was fun. Right. But you know, the then it reverses course too, and that's the opposite of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> less fun. <laughs> so I love, I mean, I had a property where, you know, I didn't even look at the valuation for five years and I bought it for 80K in Arizona, refinanced all the money back out once the rehab was done yep. and held it for uh, six years. It rented out every single month, except one month where it turned. And it, at the time I sold it, it was 230. 
Mm-hmm. So I turned 80 to 230 in six years. I made 170 grand with all the benefits. And where do you do that? With little risk. Mm-hmm. I had, actually, I think I had 11,000 cash still in that property. Like by the time I refied, mm-hmm. right? Cause I had mm-hmm. to get yeah. 75% of appraised value. So I didn't get all my cash out, but for turn $12,000 into 160 in six years, tell me it's safely with cash flow all the way and tax breaks all along the way, where else does that happen? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, so let's talk about a little bit now where, where we are, you know, what you see in the market, right? Because, you know, obviously interest rates have been historically low, artificially low in my mind for, yes. for years, right? They are now coming up comparatively aggressively. I mean, the interesting part is, and I've had this conversation repeatedly with people, right? Because, I mean, it's natural for human beings to compare to what was immediately before, right? So yes, this is, you know, interest rates are going up a lot. But if you look at, you know, even where the Fed thinks it's going to go with these several raises, whatever, I mean, even if interest rates, you know, go up, and I'm not talking about mortgage rates now, for I'm just talking about interest rates, but, you know, mortgage rates are you know, so tied, right? You know, if interest rates go up and get, you know, more from around zero up to, you know, three, four, even five, you know, whatever percent, that's still historically low, you know, numbers. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, my parents had a mortgage at 14 or 17% or something ridiculous in the yeah. 70s, right? I'm not saying that was a good thing that <laughs> we want to end up there. But, uh, but the point is, interest rates are going up. Right. Um, you know, uh, there is uh, some fears out there of recession. And I, I and I mentioned this quickly before we got on air. But, you know, I, I hate to even bring that up because sometimes these things become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And there's yeah. so much else that's positive. Right. Unemployment's re- you know, re- really low right now. Right. You know, uh, some companies are showing good earnings, all that kind of stuff. But in any case, um, you know, obviously, a lot of these some of these things can can impact uh, the real estate market, whether it's cost of of carry, right? If interest rates are higher or uh, issues with tenants, if things do go bad and, you know, and they, you know, and, and, and they have challenges if there is a recession and, uh, you know, and now they can't pay rent or whatever it is, uh, rents have been going up significantly over the last few years. Um, so any case, um, you know, enough, enough uh, setting the stage. What, 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 what's your feeling on, uh, you know, on, on, on the impact of some of these things on the market, on opportunities sure. out there? And, and, you know, are you, you doubling down? Are you sitting on the side for a little while? Are you somewhere in between? What's going on? We put offers on 20 houses last week. So okay. we are not slowing down. We are, um, if anything, we're, we're ramping up. We were just talking about this with my real estate team uh, partners this morning on our, you know, traditionally Monday or, or you know, weekly uh, call we have. And we, we all agree, this is a good thing for rates to go up. The market needs to cool off. Yeah. I, the way I look at it is the same way that I look at it with some of my direct sales reps on my team. When their business grows so fast and it grows beyond their personal development or their capacity. I want them, even though it's hurts me because I, I, I don't make as much uh, commissions yep. off their sales, but I want them to have a correction because I know that it's best for their long-term interests. Yes. They need to go through adversity. They need to have a correction because they're eager. Bad things happen when you grow too fast. And this is what I see. Too much ego, too much pride, too much greed, laziness. They have all these things that that kind of set in. And so fast, incredible success. Like we saw, we saw a huge jump in 
in sales in the COVID um, lockdowns. And I did not expect it, but when the government prints, what, 40% of the money supply um, and sends out trillions of dollars in free money, then people had more disposable income, they're going to spend it. They're not going to say they didn't invest most people, right? So that created this huge stimulus artificially in growth, which I thought personally, I didn't, I didn't like, I don't think that's a good thing long-term. Same thing in real estate, artificially low rates, I think needs to end. And I'm glad to see that it happening. Now it's going to increase our borrowing costs, but I think it's going to also create more deals out there for us without so many like crazy buyers that don't understand valuations that are willing to pay too much for a property that really doesn't make sense, but they're outbidding us so many times because they didn't do their homework. They don't understand. They've got this cheap money. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. I mean the, right. The flip side of course of low interest rates and everything else in this environment is that values went up, you know, so much uh, and, you know, arguably too much. Um, So uh, Yeah. yeah. Totally. You know, the interesting part, one of the things I love about just being in deals in general, and this is, you know, whether it's real estate or corporate deals or M&A or whatever, is that if you study things, like I did a thing, um, I don't know, it might have been end of 2021, where, because they were already talking about interest rates going up, you know, then, right? And and talking about, you know, how that, you know, might adversely affect the deal market, um, you know, and things like that, and just the economy in general. So I did some research, which I thought, I, you know, because I, I had a sense this was true. I read stuff before, but I did some research to really look at deal flow. And it was more on the corporate side than the real estate side. But deal flow during uh, high interest rates and or, you know, recessionary periods. And deal flow in terms of corporate deals is actually not, there's no correlation between mm-hmm. interest rates or other things in the economy often in deal flow because the deals just morph and shift, right? You know, I mean, you know, there are huge opportunities in down markets. And this is true in real estate as well, right? To buy properties. In fact, I was just talking about this uh, with somebody the other day where, you know, we when we had those funds that we, you know, invested in 2007, we did a couple of small condo conversions, worked out nicely. We did some, um, you know, multifamily residential stuff. And then, you know, we had a couple of properties we were getting hurt on because because of, you know, everything went to, to hell. And and we had, you know, one particularly in an area that had a lot of immigrant uh, families who all, when things got really bad in the Great Recession, went back to their countries and vacancy rates went way up, right? So that was the downside. On the flip side, at that point, I, we actually went back to our investors and said, this is the time to double and triple down, right? These yeah, good yeah. buildings we bought because we bought in a hot market, but we bought right, right? You know, first of all, if we just cash flow these, we'll get through and they're going to come back up and it's going to be a great investment, which turned out it was. Um, but we could also buy buildings at 30% or 40% discount off of those fundamentally good deals we already bought. That'll be great deals. But of course, you know, for us at least, you know, people were, you know, it's typical. People, when, when they should be investing, they were running scared. When, yeah. you know, when, when things were, were going crazy, they were they were throwing money at stuff, you know? So, uh, in fact, some of the biggest opportunities are, you know, are, and most money is made when there's some challenges in the market. Yeah. I mean, FOMO, fear of missing out is a powerful emotion and yeah. FOMO grips people so much that when things start popping, they, they feel like, okay, like this is going to just keep going up. But then the opposite case happens when it's dropping, they think it's going to keep dropping and right. continue to plummet. 
And the, 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 the hardest lesson that I learned, I would say, is trying to time the bottom, you know, like back in the COVID crash, the stock market crash. I was convinced that, you know, when you lock down an economy, that you're going to see some, some really, really bad things. So I thought the market was going to continue to drop. So I was just waiting for that. And then it rebounded so fast. Yep. You know, I missed an incredible buying opportunity trying to predict the bottom time, the bottom. So, you know, this time around, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that again. I'm, I'm, I'm buying right now. Am I scared? Yes. That's good sign when I have a little bit of fear. Um, but it's also, you know, smart because I'm not trying to be this incredible predictor of what's going to happen because who knows, but I do know this, I'm buying stuff at incredible discounts. If I hold for the next five to 10 years, I believe it's going to work out. I did all my research. I understand what companies I'm buying, why I'm buying them. How did I diversify? So at the end of the day, then I just need to, I make the decision and then, you know, dust off the hands and just say, Hey, whatever yep. happens from here, I did my absolute best. I'm going to be okay with the, the result. Yeah. Love it. So before I ask, ask you my final two questions, I want to give you an opportunity on two things. One, if there's anything else, uh, you know, in the deal market in whatever any of your type businesses in the deal, you know, as the deals that you think is interesting right now. And then two, I want to give you some more time to talk about instructable wealth. Cause I know that's, yeah, thank you. And, you know, oh, so yeah, it's, it's so, awesome. Yeah. You know, we have, we have done a huge pivot. So my company, high return real estate, um, it is uh, originally was a long-term um, buy and hold type company where we offer turnkey rental property. So yeah. Investors would get the property after we've already acquired, rehabbed, placed a tenant. They're buying a cash flowing property. Okay. Well, that's a tough model uh, for us because we have so much capital tied up, you know, in cash in the acquisition and then the rehab and then the hold time, right? So we came up with a strategy called Partner With Us, where we acquire a great property that we would hold for ourselves. So we won't ever, we'll never put an offer, acquire anything if we're not willing to hold it for yep. the next decade or more. So we acquire the property and then we get a contractor that we've vetted or used, you know, on, on a hundred, usually we've utilized them on, on multiple deals, sometimes as many as a hundred deals yep. and we get a quote. And so we present the entire package, right? The property, the, the quote that they gave, the architectural drawings and the estimated Airbnb or VRBO short-term rental rates, right? Yes. So that we've run it through all kinds of stress tests. So the, the, the great thing for the investor is that they can then do more cost segregation on the, um, because they're funding the rehab themselves. Yep. It's a lot easier to do it than having a completed uh, building. And so they get to do that. They get the additional, you know, some of the additional tax um, incentives of, of carrying a property through themselves and then boom. So within, you know, three, four, five months, they've got a really nice cash flowing property that we manage, let's should say not in-house, but we have a referral company management sure. company that will take care of everything. So that's what we're most excited about right now is that opportunity to um, get involved in short-term Airbnbs that, uh, create, you know, we're seeing triple the rent, triple the yields on, you know, most, most cases. In fact, we typically won't do anything unless it hits, um, 20% cash on cash. So it's different long-term tenants, you know, less volatility, yep, yep. Uh, a little more stability. 
um, you know, you're going to make a lot lower yields than, than that. Yeah. So it just kind of depends on investor preference. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's that. And then the book I can dive into whenever you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's definitely, uh, well, I mean, so, you know, on that, you know, it's, yeah, it's been interesting to me before we dive in the book that, you know, I know some folks, um, is, is a guy uh, who uh, I've been very active in the entrepreneurial organization community for 15 years. And he always got, you know, um, global organization of entrepreneurs at a certain business level. And I've seen a couple of them, one particular guy in New York, you know, where, yeah, I mean, his, he started focusing early on, on Airbnb investment, you know, and it's interesting because early in the market, you know, people were just sort of, you know, running out their own places, right? That was the, that was the model. Nobody was acquiring properties for the purposes of Airbnb, you know, uh, rentals, but of right. course, why not? I mean, that's, you know, you know, especially with the rates that you got. So, you know, it's been interesting to see how that's, uh, that started to uh, develop, and um, you know, I've, I've actually—it's been something, frankly, that I uh, have been wanting to look into, you know, further for myself. Uh, but in any case, so that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I think the only—you know—there's a risk to short-term rentals, which is if we do hit a recession, yeah. um, which uh, again we don't want to be self-fulfilling mm-hmm. prophecy, right? Uh, but if it does come, and you know, I mean, markets always cycle in and out, so it's coming eventually. Yeah. Uh, we just don't know when. Um, will that hurt people traveling and, and their short-term stays? Probably. Mm-hmm. So we are prepared with any house that we've already stress tested to have a long-term tenant. Will it cash flow, right? Yeah. So we're looking at, okay, this is the optimal. This is what we want to do with this property. But if this actually doesn't go as we planned it and the market doesn't cooperate, what, what else can we do? That's the thing. I mean, definitely, I think you want to have a, you know, additional exit strategies or backup plans yeah. to any project uh, that you have going. Cause you know, things can, can go wrong for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And listen, that comes back to, you know, good buying. I mean, you know, at the height of markets, people are, you know, yeah. If you have a short-term rental play where it's producing, you know, three times the revenue that the income that it could, but you're dependent upon that, and you, you know, you have and you have short margins, then you know you're screwed, right? If you're going to lose significant money, if if you have to back up to a long-term tenant, then you got, you know, then right, you have a much riskier deal. So you have to. It comes down to buying, right? Right? You know. So, yeah. all right. So let's talk a little bit more about the book and your passion, you know, for the whole indestructible wealth conversation, and you know. So yeah, I want to give you a few minutes to talk about that before we uh, close with my last couple of questions. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so the uh, the book is uh, titled Building Indestructible Wealth. It's the six-figure earner's guide to building a multi-million portfolio. Let's try to sum it up. The reason why I'm targeting six-figure earners because so much of that's in the book is immediately actionable strategies. Mm-hmm. You know, I link to, okay, I do. I love stock options. In fact, I've been doing them since 2000, I don't know, 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to generate cash flow from the market. Uh, we're usually selling them. And um, that's, you know, we're, we're selling to the degenerate gambler. <laughs> we're not the degenerate gambler. <laughs> so we, uh, we've done very well with that. So I give them a, exactly like, here's where you go. They have a 98% win rate. They have oh, across four, you know, five years, they um, 29% annualized returns over the last five years through different uh, crazy markets, right? So I give that link. Where do you go to get rental property? Where do you go to get, if you want to get into syndication? Where do you go to, to learn more about crypto? So there's very specific actionable strategies that if you don't have liquid cash to invest or you don't have higher income where you can free up some really you know good money, then 
It's more of a, hey, I, I'll learn about this. I'll get inspired and I'll do it later, right? Yeah. So that's it's for everybody, just <clears throat> specifically for action. Um, the, the concept is what I've seen is that most financial education or plans that are proposed, it's the lump sum approach. So what I mean is you spend 40, 50 years, whatever, accumulating as big of a lump sum or big of a nest egg as you can. And then when you retire, you're drawing that down and hoping that you have enough to last. Right. My belief is based on all the research I've done into biotechnology and what's coming down the pipe, we're going to have a major extension of human life. I think it won't be, I would not be surprised that if you make it the next 10 years that you will probably have a good shot of living to 120 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you retire at 65, then you've got uh, 55 years that you need your money to sustain you. That's a tough proposition. If you have a lump sum, yes. if I can instead focus on multiple streams and, and again, like we already talked about focused first, then diversifying as you grow. If you have multiple streams of income flowing in, if one of them dries up, gets disrupted, whatever you have, no problem. You're building wealth and your future as you go, but you also have income that you can spend now, enjoy now, and not feel guilty about it. So the whole book is that's the concept. Let's create multiple streams of income in real estate. Um, you know, stock options is one way in the market, right? Of course, you can do dividends, but what is that? A, a one one and a half percent average yield and dividends, that's not enough to really move the needle on your net worth. And then um, in crypto, things like mining, staking, lending, although I don't want anybody doing more than 10% of their total investable dollars in crypto. Yeah. Just, it's just too risky of an asset class. It's too early, right? So yeah, that's uh, what I talk about are, are building businesses for cash flow, stocks, crypto, and real estate primarily. And then how right. do we use those the right way? And I assume people can get the book in all the usual places. Uh, it's not available on Amazon yet. I will okay. have a hard copy in a few months. Uh, maybe by the time this goes live, right. I, you know, it'll probably be around that time. Uh, but uh, for now, it's a digital download with an audio book. Right. And um, then I'm going to take feedback. Uh, what do? What, how can I make it better? Right? I want this thing to be really, really good. Yeah. So how do I make it better? I'll do a second uh, edit, and then that's when it'll be hardcover. Go go on Amazon and whatnot. But right now they can get it on my website, myindestructiblewealth.com. And there's also courses that they can take if they really want more hands-on. We have uh, two online learning courses for a basic and an advanced investor. And then I have a private mastermind and one-to-one coaching for the ones that really want hands-on advice, guidance on a one-to-one basis. Excellent. Give that website again. Uh, Yep. It's uh, myindestructiblewealth.com. Right. Great. And is that the main play? Is there any, uh, I know you have all these other businesses, I'm sure there's other, but you know, so is that anything, any other contact information you want to give or is that, is that the main place people should focus? Oh yeah. If they're, you know, if they're interested in learning more about how we uh, provide kind of the hybrid turnkey Airbnb rentals, highreturnrealestate.com, they can book a call with our investor concierge, Nicole on that. And uh, she'd, she can walk everybody through uh, potential, you know, properties available. But uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, my indestructible wealth is kind of the ecosystem where everything's kind of housed right there. 
Excellent. Excellent. So Jack, my final question on the podcast is about my highest value in life, which is which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from all people from oppression in the world to the reason why I'm an entrepreneur and I haven't had a boss in, in many decades. Um, what, <laughs> what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Freedom to me is I want to be able to do what I want to do with who I want to do it with, when I want to do it, and that is never compromised. Hmm. That's true freedom. If I have created the type of strategic plan, and it takes years to get there, yep. <laughs> uh, it's building wealth, even with knowing advanced strategies and knowing um, what I have in my book and, and, and the things that I teach, what you teach, right? We're, we're helping people shortcut the ability to create wealth. Let's, I mean, let's be honest about that. Yep. Uh, we're cutting it down from what, 40 years to, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, you know, I don't know. Right. It depends on the person, but it's, yep. we know it's shorter. Even then it's still, it's still a long, it's a longer process. So you gotta be willing to play, you know, that long game, to be able to get to that incredible ability to have true freedom, time freedom, money freedom, and all the options that that gives you. Awesome. Jack Gibson, thanks for being such a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. Yeah, incredible. Thanks for having me, Corey. I loved it. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, Go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.